thank you for the moving of your spirit. We've prayed. We've read your word. We've sang from our souls. We've hugged and acknowledged other members in the body. And now it's preaching time. Breathe on us now, God. That we may hear what your spirit has to say to the church. Don't let us leave the same way we came in. But lift every burden. Soothe every pain. Encourage the discouraged. And more than any of this, let us see you high and lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, 1 Samuel rather, chapter 11, verses 1 um, through 15. I received a, uh, a call, or some of you will know this, on yesterday about our daughter Courtney, who is in Chicago in graduate school. She was robbed by gunpoint the other morning. And uh, in broad daylight, about 8 in the morning, on her way to work. So they shook her up pretty bad and took all of her personal belongings. But the Lord was present. Amen. Amen. The gun was showed to her and pulled on her. There were two gang members. They did catch the young men who did this, but she is uh, she's still shaking up. So those of you that have Courtney's number, won't you call her? And just encourage her. She told me, she said, Pastor, I'm just missing y'all right now. I'm missing my church family. I think I'm going to be all right. But if you'll call and reach out to her. And don't forget Latrice in the process. Amen. Would y'all do that? <clears throat> and if you don't have the number, ask somebody who does. Do you have Courtney's number? Send her a text. Amen. 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 You know, you send your babies to school, but you don't send them no place to get robbed. And that never happened before in Fresno. But she's in Chicago now. It's a different place. So can y'all remember her? Amen. First Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. If you got it, say, I'm there, Pastor. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and encamped against Jabash Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we'll serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, on this, on this condition I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, can you hold off then for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel? And then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to Gebeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now... There was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? 
And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. And so he took a yoke of oxen, and he cut them in pieces, and he sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so shall it be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. When he had numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah were 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. And then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and then you may do with us whatever seems good to you. They're talking to the enemy. And so it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch. That's about 4 a.m. And they killed the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. And then the people said to Samuel, who is he who said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring them men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. And then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Samuel king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel. Rejoice greatly. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor for the last time and tell them, neighbor. neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. This, morning, this morning, pastor's back in the Chronicles. And he's going to tag this message straight out of Gebel. Amen. You may be seated. The Chronicles of Saul, part two. Straight out of Gebeah. Sister Kenya, it's good to see you. Thank you for traveling all the way from your area to be on the trip with us. We're so grateful for you. At the time of our text today, family, you'll remember that Israel wanted a king with an attitude. They wanted a leader who would throw down with the rest of the kings in the region. They wanted somebody who would represent them on the battlefield. Somebody who would handle their enemies if they ever got out of line. They wanted a tall king. They wanted a king with some swag and a little edge to himself. 
And so God gave them Saul. But if you remember the story, he didn't look like much of a man. Because when God called him, he was hiding in the stuff. <laughs> Y'all remember that? Well, when we read this text today, we find that Saul rises to the challenge. And he puts Israel on the map. As a country with a new king. When Saul did this, he did it in a big way. And he represents straight out of Gebeah. Now, why did I say that? Well, I want to use that term today because Gebeah was a no-name place. It was a place where you didn't come to stay. It was a place of unknown origins place that was not popular to many. But when God got ready to move on behalf of his people, he did it straight out of Gebeah. And just like today, God is still doing big things out of little places. God is still calling giants out of little bitty towns. God is still on the move, Mason, in little bitty cities. He's still shaping large hearts from little bitty families. <laughs> God is still making kings from insignificant beginnings. In fact, you could really say that God has always done this. He's always taken insignificant beginnings and made them great endings. And so God loves to use the underdog. That's for the underdogs who are here today. Look, he makes men who were nothing into leaders of something. God specializes in using the impossible. And that's what I want to focus on today as we look at the Chronicles of Saul. We want to look at the man and his mission once God gets a hold of his heart. Can I say some more? Let me give you some contextual backgrounds that will help this text make sense. The last time we were here, if you'll recall, Saul had just been anointed king over Israel. But at the ceremony, some in the crowd began to trip. Brother James, they, they were vocal and vicious. They said, look at him. He's going to rule over us. And as a result, Saul ended up not taking the reins that day by king. And he ended up going back to Gebeah and working on the farm. This ending to last week's, or sermon rather, put Israel in a conundrum of sorts. They had been asking God for a king, and the one that God gave them as a king was not their favorite. So now every man goes back home. They got a king, but they don't got the one they want. So God has got to do something in the situation to make, to make Saul man up and become a king so Israel can get their prayers answered. Y'all with me here? And that's why the text opens up and says, and then Nahash. Nahash the Ammonite. 
he's a distant relative, but they're cousins who ain't never got along. Tell your neighbor, ain't no fight like a family fight. <laughs> Nahash the Ammonite, y'all see that? He came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. Here's what he did. He surrounded the leastest tribe of Israel. Now watch this. God is behind the scenes of the enemy's next move. I got one laugh in here. I need you to zero in with me. He's working the enemy's ideas. Because he's going to use Nahash to elevate Saul. Can I say some more? The Ammonites had always threatened the lives of Israel. And now this crisis is caused so that the perfect storm will emerge so God can work through Saul and encourage him to be the king that he just anointed him to be. See, if you remember, Saul was a reluctant king. He didn't want to rule. He didn't want to lead. He didn't even want to fight. And when God called him, you remember he was hiding in the stuff. So when he got appointed, he also got opposed. And when he got opposed, he couldn't handle the heat and ran home back to the farm. Ran back to his insignificant place called Gebeah. Can I say some more? God had a plan for his life, but he didn't want to answer the call. He would rather hide in his insignificance. He wanted to stay the nobody that he thought he should have been. He wanted to remain in obscurity, but God had called him to come out from among them. And to do a great work on his behalf. Can I park the car right there? And somebody listening to me this morning, you're trying to hide in your insignificant stuff. God been dealing with you for a long time. He's been calling you out of this place that you stuck in and this, this role that you playing to do something more. But you're afraid. You're scared. In fact, you're worried about what people going to say. And you rather hide in your insignificance than be the man or the woman that God is calling you to be. Can I turn the light on? This text is about God using Saul against Saul's wishes. <laughs> yeah, you can get mad, but so what? This text, Bashan. It's about God doing what he want to do with you. He is God. He don't need your permission to make you a king or a queen. Come on, talk to me. If God said you're going to be a king, guess what you're going to be? If he said you're going to be a queen, guess what you're going to be? You might want to stay in your little welfare role, whatever that is. Your ghetto activities. But if he's called you to lead people and to do something great for him, you're going to do it whether you like it or not. And what God does in this text is he creates a crisis. So that the only one, Brother Mike, can handle the situation is you. Because you've been made for the crisis. 
I got three points to argue my case, and I'm going to get out of your way. Number one, I'm going to talk about the message to Israel. Then I'm going to talk about the man for Israel. And then the mission of Israel. Y'all in here? Okay, let's walk through the text. The text says in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, Then Nahash, the Ammonite, he came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all, say all, all, the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we'll serve you. Can I park right there? Notice this. When the enemy comes to Israel, the men of Israel are cowards. And the only way to understand this is to read chapters 8, 9, 10, and get here. That's why they wanted a king. They wanted somebody to fight against not only them, the Ammonites, but to the Jebusites and to the Philistines and all the other enemies that were around them. So when the enemy moves in here to take over Sister Jackie, the first thing they do is bomb rush him with, with a, a surrender clause. All of the men came out and said, we'll make a covenant with you. We'll let you rule over us. Y'all with me here? Verse 2, and Nahash the Ammonite answered them, on this condition I'll make a covenant with you that I might put out all y'all right eyes and bring reproach on Israel. Now that's a gangster right there. Tell somebody that's a gangster. When you come to this text, the message you see for Israel is a threatening message. What you mean, pastor? It's a message from an enemy who has positioned himself against them to do battle. It's a, it's, it's, it's a message, Brother Deacons, uh, to break the backs and the mentality and the mind of the men in the community. Can I waddle right here? Because if you break the backs and the mind of the men, the women are yours to take. Can I say some more? And Israel was afraid. And so they want to enter into a covenant with those who want to do them harm instead of stand up and fight for their families. Oh, I'm going somewhere in this text. Israel begins to plead for mercy. Ask for some time to consult. They also ask for some time to consult after verse 2. After he tells them, I'm going to pluck out all your eyes. Then the elders of Jabez said, well, can you hold off for seven days? That, that, that we may go to all the territory of Israel, go to all the other tribes, and see if there's someone to save us. Y'all see that right there? Whatever happened to saving yourself? The messengers came to Gabeah, and they told Saul and all the people in his town what was happening. Let me work here. When the others hear of this news, they begin to cry and to weep. What a sad picture about God's people. They asked God to give them a man. God gives them a man, but the man don't have no confidence. 
then they come against the man that God has given to them. They don't have no confidence. They now don't have no confidence in him. Boy, what a dysfunctional family. Am I making sense right there? But isn't this just like us? Come on now, don't, don't get quiet. We can laugh at their dysfunction, but I want you to look at your own this morning. Isn't that just like us? Every time we turn around, some new enemy is raging. Always standing up to us and parading themselves against us. And it seems like every day we are hearing a new threat from a new group. <laughs> we threatened by the devil and we being chased by his demons. And it seems like there's always some new enemy crawling from under the next rock. Maybe it's ISIS. Maybe it's ISIL. Maybe it's anthrax. Come on, talk to me. Am I talking to y'all? There's always some new enemy trying to threaten our very existence. And watch this. Our allegiance to Yahweh. The message sent to Israel in this text is a message sent to the believer and the follower of Jesus Christ. See, see, enemies always have an axe to grind with us. And that's why the world, the flesh, and the devil don't ever sleep. Come on in here. That world will chase you down. Come on, talk to me. That flesh will lay down with you and get up with you. And that devil will get on the plane with you talking about you going to Haiti. Are y'all with me here? Non-threat, non-stop threats all the time. And this is why I mean we like Israel. We got the audacity like Israel, Sister Wilson, to try to compromise with the enemy. We'll make a covenant with you. We'll serve you. Come on in here. Haven't you compromised your position in Christ? Instead of fighting the flesh, you give in to serve him. Oh, I knew this was going to be hard. Don't you compromise with the world? They say you don't need to be so bold with your witness. Kind of kind of back it down a little bit. Kind of dial it down a little bit. Don't, don't be so homophobic. So you find yourself, you know, compromising what you believe and what you stand on. Aren't we just like the Israelites? Well, I'll stop by to tell you today, there is no compromise with evil. That's why the Ammonites say what they say. The only compromise you're going to get is me plucking out your right eye. And you're still going to be my slave. Can't you hear your flesh? Tomo, you know, you know I'm coming back. I ain't finna leave you alone. What you mean leave you alone? I'ma take your virginity. I'ma take your sobriety. I'ma take your physical liberties. And you still gonna work for me. Tomo, you gonna compromise. Can't you hear the world talking about you wanna be against homosexuality? Well, we're going to incarcerate you, Reverend Wilson. We're going to take your church, 501c3, and you still going to marry him if I tell you to marry him. 
Ain't no compromise. Are y'all in here? I want to shake you up real good this morning. I don't know what you're trying to compromise for. You're going to still be their slave. Satan wants slaves, Sean. Your flesh wants slaves. The world wants slaves. So if you think you can ease in good with the world and they still not own you, you what they call is a Because the enemy still comes to steal and destroy. Am I making sense here? Haven't y'all noticed the many people groups? I've just been counting roll lately on the news that want to fight against the church. The homosexuals want to fight against the church. The racists want to fight against the church. The devil worshipers Wanna the cults want to the Muslims want to unbelieving family members wanna the Mormons wanna the Jehovah's Witness wanna the Scientologists want to the hip hop culture wants to the intelligentsia of the day wants to. The Supreme Court wanna. The world systems want to. Everybody want a piece of the church. And just like Israel is surrounded, the church is surrounded by enemies, constantly being threatened by their hostile words. Can I put my weight on it? This message to the twelve tribes. Yes, yes, is the message to the church of Jesus Christ. Just like the world, yeah, they hate the Christian. And their only desire is to silence us, Sister Kathy. So I stopped by to tell you what we need in times like this is we need for God to make himself known in the heat of the battle. In times like these, we need for God to speak to us and show us the way we need in times like these for God to empower his servants to fight in a strategic manner the, the good fight of spiritual warfare. Uh, tell your neighbor, we don't need no cowards right now. That was the message to Israel. I'm going to pull your eyes out and you're going to serve me. But let's look at the man for Israel. Verse 5, you in here? The text says, now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. Now that should alarm you right there anyway, just that one sentence. Because of what just had happened in the other countries. And Saul said, as he's coming in from the field, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words that came from his brothers, the men of Jabesh. And look at verse 6. The text says, and then, circle that word right there. The Spirit of God, yes, came upon Saul when he heard this news. And his anger was greatly aroused. Can I work right here? When we come to this verse, Reverend Tate, we see uh, a different picture 
than the previous verses that are drawn for us by the writer. You see, all of Israel crying and lamenting, and Saul, who was supposed to be their king, is not in place. He should have been the one defending them from trouble. But because he wasn't in his place, y'all see it there? Trouble had come to the people. He was out of bounds. He was somewhere in the field when he should have been on the watch in the wall. Can I say some more? This picture is amazing because instead of him having a kingly role, he went back to a farmer's role. And as a farmer, watch this, he ain't even leading the herd. He letting the herd lead him. Can y'all see it now? He personality. Here's the herd. The herd's coming in. He comes in after them. What an observation. He should have been in his position as king. But he loves his position as coward more than his God-appointed position as king. <laughs> he was the reigning king, but he was working in the field. Somebody tell me, why, why, when, when the last time you seen a king working? They hire workers. Are you with me here? That's evidence that he was in denial of who God said he was. And he'd rather be something else than God had ordained him to be. He was over a country, but he was not doing his job. He was assigned a position by God, but he's currently out of place. Look, he was running from who he was ordained to be. Uh, he was the head of the Israelite family, but he was missing in action when the enemy's threat was made known. While the family was in crisis, he was still hiding in the stuff. What a tragedy. When I look at the men in the church, I'm talking, talking about heathens, people that don't know God. I'm talking about the men of God who God has ordained as sons of the Father, given positions of leadership, refusing to be the kings of the places in which they reign and rather hide in some insignificant role. So that you never take the reins of leadership. You always let your woman do it. Or your girlfriend do it. Refusing to be the son of the father who God has made you to be. Always making excuses. Well, if my daddy wouldn't have did this. If that color man wouldn't have did this to this color man, I wouldn't have this problem that I'm dealing with. Insignificant. Rather stay in insignificance than be the one that God has ordained you to be. 
I know it's quiet. I'm getting on a plane in a minute. Saul was messed up, though. No, no, no. If you were to look at the biblical psychology of Saul, you see one who refuses to accept what God has said about him and refuses to be the man that God has ordained him to be and would rather listen to the haters deny him instead of step up and man up and be the king that God wanted him to be. Can I say some more? What troubles me about this text is Saul's disobedience has now affected all of the country. Ah! Can I tell you, brothers, your disobedience about the role that God has given you don't just affect you. It affects your children. It affects your home. It affects your parents. It affects your community. It affects everybody around you. When God has a call on your life. And we can't get this mess together until we come from out of our stuff. This ain't in my notes, but I feel it. I'm going to lay it out here. You know why I think this church won't go no farther than we are? Because the men ain't stood up. It's a handful of us, but it's more of us that ain't showed up, ain't stood up, ain't manned up. They won't leave at home and they wife tell them, I wish you would try to leave me at church. How you going to leave me at church and you won't leave at home? Can I say some more? I ain't fussing. I'm just unfolding the text. Look at what Saul says. Because a turn happens here in the biblical psychology of Saul. Brother Grady, the text says that Saul asked a question. But it ain't any question. It's a divine question. So BJ, he says, as he comes out of the field following the herd, what troubles the people? And why? Do they weep? And they told him the words that have come from the men of Jabesh. Notice this. And then the text says, and then, yes, the spirit of God came. Ah, put a, put a, put a comma right there. Notice. The spirit of God don't come upon Saul to Saul ask the right question. What's wrong with the people? Why are they crying, Elva? Why are they weeping? Why are they, why are they acting this way? And when he asked that question, the Bible said the Spirit of God came upon him. And God had to stir up, yes, a righteous indignation. <laughs> God stirred up his anger and aroused himself. You know why? Because he was passive. He was passive by nature. 
Maybe he was a mama's boy. I don't know, but when a text is silent, I got to be silent. But I'm asking the question, why wasn't he aroused before at the plight and the condition of his people? God now has made him to be king. And as king, his first order of business got to be to protect God's people. Y'all in here? And it takes the spirit of God to fall on him and fill him now that his anger might be aroused. Can I say some more? Prior to God's spirit, Brother McBee, coming upon him, Saul was fearful of being king. But after the spirit of God, y'all with me here? He mans up now. <laughs> yeah. Prior to God's spirit coming upon him, he had no desire to lead God's people. But after the spirit of God comes up on him, Saul gets an attitude and is ready to do whatever it takes for God's name to reign. Look, when God came upon him, the brother was a different king now. Uh, Macduff, when the spirit of God came upon him, he had a new attitude. When the spirit of God came upon him, he had strength that he never had before. When the Spirit of God came upon him, he had a different yeah, attitude and was now ready to take on tongue all of his enemies. Why? Because he's finally walking now in his ordination, who God has ordained him to be. And I believe today, yeah, that if the problems in our communities are going to be solved, it's going to be because godly men who are filled with the Spirit of God have come out of their insignificant roles and taken back their neighborhoods. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost, just a little while. I believe today that if the problems of our broken homes are going to be fixed, it's going to be because the Spirit of God has stirred up fathers to be protectors and providers again for their families. Help me, Holy Ghost. Bless my bones this morning. I believe today that if the problems of our weak churches are going to get fixed, it's going to be because the Spirit of God has stirred up our pastors to be leaders and preachers again of the Word of God. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost. Just a little while. I believe today, ladies, look, look, look. One of the qualifications for the man you choose to date ought to be his spiritual pedigree. If you can't catch him on his knees, please. If he ain't working in the church now, don't think he gonna work later. If you still paying for the meal at the date, you better write him a check. If you want a spiritual leader, don't settle for a spiritual weakling. And don't you come in my office with no excuses, because I served you notice. I sure did. On November 1, 2015, I told you.
When Saul got filled, he got courage to fight for his people. When Saul got filled, he got some power to stand up and lead. When Saul got filled, he got inspired to lead a nation. When Saul got filled, he got some insight into his people's troubles. When Saul got filled, he, here it is, here it is, he got some unction that he never had before. Yeah, he was afraid before to dwell anywhere but Gebeah. But now he's ready to mobilize the family. The text says that Saul, I lost some of y'all, so let me hump it off. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. Chopped up. Y'all know what the yoke of oxen is, right? Come on up here, Reverend White. Two big oxes. Y'all get the picture looking at me and White. <laughs> Yoked together. He slaughters them. And then he chops them in little pieces. And he sends a piece to every tribe. Y'all in here now? Thank you, Doc. And he sends this message to the tribe. Y'all see this piece? If y'all don't get off your butts and come down here and man up with me and the preacher, Samuel, I'm going to kill every last one of y'all oxes. This the same man that was hiding in the stuff. He a different man now. Y'all in here? See, 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 only some things can change in your life when the spirit of God get a hold of you. I'm feeling my Wheaties right here. When the spirit of God get a hold of a man, there ain't no gangster in the neighborhood he afraid of. When the spirit of God get a hold of a man, he ain't no longer mama's boy. When the Spirit of God get a hold of a man, he'll stand up and be the protector, the provider, the leader that God wants him to be. You better leave him alone until God get a hold of him. He sends out the threatening message as a call from the king. And I like this text because the Bible says, y'all keep reading it. And the fear of God, uh-uh, y'all missed it. The fear of the Lord fell on all Israel. Ah, the king had awakened. And everybody in the family recognized his authority. Can I say something to my brothers in the house? All the brothers, would you stand for me? All the brothers, all the brothers, would you stand for me? I want to give you a direct message. Look at this. The Bible says that, that when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, all of the family recognized his leadership. And 300,000 of Israel and 30,000 of Judah came to his call. There's some things that would only happen in your family when you stand up. When you stand up, everybody around you is going to recognize that you're God's man. And we need to follow where God is taking him. 
Give these brothers a hand, ladies. Give these brothers a hand. You may be seated. When I look at this text, I got excited right there. Spirit of God came upon Saul, and the fear, the reverence of God fell on all of the rest of the tribe. And the other brothers came now to the summons from Saul. Well, I've talked about the message to Israel. I've talked about the man for Israel. Now let me land the plane on the mission of Israel. The text says, yes, in verse number eight, thank you. When he numbered them in Bezek, all the children of Israel were 300,000 men. And the men of Judah were 30,000. That's 330,000. I did go by the classroom. But notice, they don't move until a leader shows up to move them. See, some things won't happen in our community because the mantle of leadership ain't nobody grabbed it. And now they're all moving. Verse 9. And they said to the messengers that came and gave them the bad news, go back and tell our brothers in Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow, by the time that the sun is hot, you're going to have help. In other words, don't worry about them enemies. I'm about to handle your enemies. And the men of Jabesh were glad. Let me unpack this and I'll move out of the way. When we arrive at this final passage, we see the mission that was now before Israel. Brother Ed, they now had a clear mandate as men to follow their new king. And they had a new mission to help him war against their enemies. Don't lose that. Because you have a new king. And he ain't in the pulpit. He's sitting at the right hand of the father. And the war against the enemies, he ain't going to fight for you, but he's going to fight through you. But if you don't move, he's going to wait till you decide to fight. Are y'all in here? That's why Paul said you put on the armor. Because the spirit of God is in you. I'm with you low. I'll be with you to the end of the age. Are you in here? The text revised or, or lets us know that, yeah, Israel, here it is, Israel, Brother Chris, had never fought enemies before. They were used to God doing all the fighting for them. But now that they had a king, God wasn't going to fight for them. He was going to fight through them. Are you in here? And, and some of us are still waiting on God to handle our enemies. When God lives in you now, the spirit of God has residence in you. 
Are you still talking about God help me with this alcohol? He said, I didn't already helped you. Now you help yourself and put it down. God help me with this pornography. He didn't already help you. Take a hammer and break the computer. God help me with my gambling problem. Start paying your tithes and get that money to mama to put up somewhere. Waiting on God to fight your battle. He's already in you and has empowered you to fight it. But you want what you want. You like what you like. Your mouth is saying one thing. But your behind is saying something else. Are you listening here? Somebody, a preacher said a long time ago, look, if you free your mind, your behind will follow. I know y'all say he in rare form today. Can I say some more? All I'm trying to say, Brother Tom, is that we are the army of God on earth. And Israel now has become commissioned to fight off their enemies in the region. You and I have become commissioned to stand against the threats of the wicked one. And to be the saints of God who walk by faith, Brother Matt, and not by sight. The text says that when Saul issued the challenge, the fear of God came upon the nation and each man assembled themselves for battle. And they assembled themselves, Mason, because they recognized that now I got a mission. Ain't nothing more deadly than a man on a mission. Y'all in here? When a brother get on a mission and he's serious and he's focused, ain't nothing go detract him. Ask Sister Wilson, that's how I called her. That's how I called her, amen. I, I was on a mission, and I wasn't taking no for no answer. Y'all see I won, don't you? You see I won. <laughs> Are you in here? When a man get on a mission, Sean, he can't be focused. I mean, he can't be distracted. And Israel is now on a mission. I like this. They own a mission, how you know, because 300,000 showed up at the call. And then 30,000 of Judah came. That's a lot of men who focus. Now, 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 they showed up because they was all willing, here it is, here it is, Gray, to be counted in the number. They was willing now as men to be held accountable. They're going to stand in the trenches with their brother. Yeah, yeah. They were now, yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. They were now willing to lay down their lives as living sacrifices. Because they on mission. This is what it looks like, family, when the fear of God rests on the church. This is what it looks like when the fear of God has moved in his people. Reverend McBee, this is what it looks like when all of God's children, son, get on one accord in the work of the kingdom. 
that this is what it looks like when the Lord has his way in the hearts of his people. They move into battle formation and submit themselves to one another. The people of God are on mission. Oh, if I could belong to a church like that. Oh, if I could belong to a brotherhood like that. Well, all they think about is the mission of the kingdom. Ain't nobody consumed with the things of this world. But the mind is on the kingdom of God. And no man is a sellout, but every man is a committed, baptized believer focused on the things of God. And there ain't no weak links because everybody is a living sacrifice. Well, I done got some of y'all pretty good and mad. I'll give y'all a week off. I'll be gone. I'll give you a week off. I'll still be here. Amen. Let's land the plane. The conclusion says, of the text goes like this. They sent the message to the little brothers in Jabez Gilead. They were happy. And the sons of Jabez Gilead, Sister Pauline, got smart. And in verse number uh, 10, they went back to Ammonite and they gave Ammonite a lesson. They said, okay, we couldn't find nobody to come and save us. So tomorrow we're going to come out to you and you can do to us whatever you seem good to. Are you in here? Yeah. So they made the enemy relax. Y'all missed it, huh? While Saul was laying in the cut, setting up a strategy. Y'all in here? Okay, let me see if I can make it live. We ought to take a note from this text. We ought to send the world, the flesh, and the devil a message. We're going to give ourselves over to you in a little while. And then go into a strategy. Well, we set up the ambush. Y'all missed it. Okay, here I go. The Bible says that Saul got the 330,000 men on one accord. And he put them in three companies. And in three companies, they divided themselves. Come on up here, Tom. Come on up here, White. Come on up here, Garcia. Tong, you right there. Company one. White, you right here. Company two. Big Chris, company three. Y'all with me now? Each company's got a leader. Each company is on the move. And at the first watch of the night, while the enemy is sleeping, the soldiers of God move out for warfare. And when they catch the enemy sleeping, they don't they don't handcuff him and take him back to their homes. They execute him. Are y'all in here? They don't handle the enemy lightly. They kill him. Listen, don't you know you can't, you can't handle your flesh? You got to kill your flesh. 
You, you can't let pornography stay around because it'll come back and kill you. Y'all not in here. Y'all not in here. You can't let alcoholism hang around. You got to kill that thing. Why? Because it'll come back and do what? Absolutely. They execute the enemy. Are you in here? Can I talk about killing the enemy this morning? You know God is okay with you killing the enemy. He's okay with you killing the world's ideas. He's okay with you killing the world's philosophies. He's okay with you killing the world's lessons. He's okay with you killing off your flesh so that you can stand victorious and give him the honor and the glory. Who told you you had to be friends with the world? Who told you you had to be friends with those things that want to take you out? We are not to be pacifists in the sense that we allow the world to dictate to us who we are and who we're going to obey. We are soldiers commissioned by God to be on warfare with the things of this world and the enemies of our soul. And that means the devil too. And that means, that means you, 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 you can't like what the devil likes. You can't entertain what he likes to entertain. Are y'all with me here? You need to get mad every time he do something in your family. Every time he do something in your country. Every time he do something to somebody you know. It ought to make you angry. It ought to drive you to your knees. So we can do what God has called us to do. Thank you brothers. I'm landing a plane now. The text says that they slaughtered every Ammonite they could. And then the ones that got away, I like that. He said, they didn't scatter by twos. No. They did their best to wipe them out. As I close, the Bible says that then the people said to Samuel, this is after the battle. Brother Gray, they said, Samuel, who are those people who said that Saul shouldn't reign over us? Y'all in here? They got attitude now. That I, who was talking about my king? Bring them forth, Samuel. Let's kill them. Since we killing enemies. But I like this. The text says that Samuel didn't speak up. But Saul did. Saul said, no, there won't be no killing in the family today. Because God has given Israel salvation. Notice this. As a king, his first order of business was to bring the family together and keep them together. Y'all missed it. He's a new man now. He's willing to lead now. And guess what? As a king, he can't have grudges. As the man of the house, as the leader of the family, he can't have disorder in the house. Can't have my sons killing my sons. Can't have my daughters killing my daughters. I don't care who said what, we all on one accord. And God has made us family and saved us today. Ain't going to be no killing in this house. 
Good God Almighty. Oh, what, what, what a beautiful picture of a father that won't tolerate siblings fighting with each other. That won't tolerate, yeah, yeah, the evil desire to do your brother and sister wrong. Isn't that powerful? I like that text right there. just gives you a beautiful picture of Saul as he leads straight out of Gebeah. Well, thank you for listening today. The Bible says that then Samuel got the people and said, come on now, let's go down to Gilgal. That's where the house of God was. And he said, let's make some sacrifices to the Lord for the salvation he provided. Let's make some sacrifices now and install Saul as the king of Israel. And then the text says, and after they offered the sacrifices before the Lord, Saul and the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Well, my brothers and my sisters, the last thing I'd like to share with you is that after every victory, there ought to be a party. Here's why our Substance Abuse Committee community get it right. When they have another year of sobriety, they call everybody together. And they say, celebrate with me. I got 13 years now. And ain't nobody jealous. They like, hey, where the party at? Where the party at? Hey, sobriety. They celebrate it. Israel celebrates the victories that they've gotten over their enemies. What a joy. None of this happens, though. If the spirit of God don't fall on Saul. When the spirit of God moved him, watch this. He gave him a vision for battle. He knew just what to do with the Ammonites. He knew the number of people. He knew to come up with a strategy. And he then had the victory because the spirit of God came upon him. Spirit of God came upon him and he was able to calm strife in the family because he was under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And those in Israel who were unhappy, they got a pass. Mercy. Because the Spirit of God was upon Saul. Well, brothers, when the Spirit of God fills you and leads you, He'll give you wisdom for your battles this week. As the Spirit of God fills you and guides you, he will help you to keep calling for unity in your own household so that the name of God will be glorified. When the Spirit of God fills you and controls you, yeah, you too ought to be willing to celebrate at the house of God in Gilgal. I was... Laying it down last night, and I thought about something. Mama came in and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm meditating on this text. And right then and there, the knee mail came. See, Saul had won the battle because of the Spirit of God. Saul had won the people's hearts because of the Spirit of God. Saul had caused Israel to unite because of the Spirit of God.
Saul had led the nation into a new way of survival because of the Spirit of God. And I wrote myself a note, my brothers and sisters, Sister Rose, it's amazing what the Spirit of God can do. About 2,000 years ago, somebody greater than Saul allowed the Spirit of God to lead him everywhere he went. Y'all see who I'm talking about. Jesus won the greatest battle ever, ever fought on earth because the Spirit of God was with him. Can't you see him in Gethsemane? Sweating and crying, great drops of blood. Father, if there's any other way to win this battle, then do it, God, but not my will. Your will be done. That's the Spirit of God empowering a man who's under great distress in the assignment that God has given him. Jesus won the battle against sin, was able to go to an old rugged cross, give his hands to the nails, give his head to the crowns of thorns, not because he was strong in his flesh, but the spirit of God was leading him. Hey, y'all in here with me? The hard-fought victory of staying up on the cross and not getting down and dealing with your enemies was won not by his own strength, but by the Spirit of God who embodied him. The Spirit helped him lay down his life. The Spirit helped him give his body up to the old rugged cross. The Spirit of God enabled him to lay down for our sins. And Jesus won the battle for our souls because the Spirit of God was upon him. Then he won the battle over the grave because the Spirit of God was in him. Are you in here? He got up early Sunday morning with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. And then he kept on fighting. Bible said that the Spirit of God called him away from here. And right now he's at the right hand of the Father still filled with the Spirit of God. At the right hand of the Father, he's praying for you and I. Send down his spirit. The same spirit he fought with is now in you and me. I got no excuse when it comes to the sins of this flesh. I got no excuse talking about I'm afraid of the world's policies. I got no excuse because the same spirit of God that was in Jesus is on Wilson. Y'all don't hear me here. Oh, heck, can I say it like I feel it? He walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I'm his own. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear no evil, because the Spirit of God is with me. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost. He pours my cup, anoints my head with oil. Yes, he's with me. Are you listening here? Everywhere I go, the Spirit is there. He'll be with me tonight when I get on a plane and fly across the world to go tell the good news. When I land in Haiti, he'll be there. When I get back on the plane, come back to Fresno, He'll be there because he's everywhere at all times dwelling in his people. Now, what's your excuse? 
if the spirit of God is with you, shake somebody's hand and tell them you got power that you know not of. Shake somebody else's hand. Tell them don't be dismayed of whatever comes your way. You got power. Shake somebody else's hand. Tell them get rid of your excuses. You got the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Now give the Lord some praise. <laughs> ain't he all right? <laughs> I said, ain't he all right? You ever think about that? You don't know who you are. The Spirit of God is in you. You ain't got to obey no legislation. You ain't got to obey the law of your flesh. The spirit of God is in you. I'm talking to the one who just said, ooh, I just can't forgive him. Yes, you can. I just can't shake her. Yes, you can. I just can't stop doing this. Yes, you can. I want to tell you, quit lying on God. If God is in you, if you don't want to quit, just say, I don't want to quit. And I'm going to accept my consequences. Because they're coming. Let the church say amen. Would you stand as Pastor Tate comes to pray for us?